Sylvia did not know this, but she uh, is going to help with the service, uh, really, and she already has. We, uh, as she said, we had uh, a business conference, and for any, have you ever been into a business conference that is really, 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 really contentious? Anybody? Yeah, they're not fun. Uh, and I told uh, I told the church uh, as we began the conference uh, Sunday night. I said, you know, I have been in some doozy conferences before. Um, First Baptist Church has not had a doozy conference, at least in my time here. Uh, what I think is beautiful about what uh, she did today is the fact that, you know, as Baptists, and we come together, everything, and if you don't understand our polity, everything that you see in this place was purchased by money that was given in the offering plate. Uh, the property initially, the building, the fixtures, everything that you see. There's not one iota of a grain of sand on this property that's not purchased through tithes and offerings. We get no money from the Southern Baptist Convention, no money from the cooperative program to do our work here. We are all basically self-funded through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. People like you and me who give faithfully uh, to, to do the Lord's work. And so with that... When we have a conference, the beautiful thing I believe about First Baptist Church is that you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with any necessarily of our leadership. What we do is specifically to be unified. Our goal and our purpose is to be unified in everything that we do. It doesn't mean that we're all going to agree everything about that. And so she offered kind of a, a counter position. Kind of, she said, to play devil's advocate on Sunday evening. And, and the thing about it is, it's exactly what you want. We don't want meetings where everybody buys into everything. We want meetings where people, after prayerful consideration, can respond. And sometimes there are things that go around here that I don't necessarily feel like we should push. Other things I may feel more passionate about. The key is, though, what she exhibited. When she felt that she had gone overboard, she gives a heartfelt apology. Those types of things are demonstration of the exact kind of culture that we want to create and continue to create here at First Baptist Church. Where we are Christians, that we are known for our love, and we demonstrate forgiveness, reconciliation, and when we offend or when we hurt someone or we even we potentially think that we've done such, we're quick, quick to apologize and forgive. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because one of the things is the church should be uniquely different than any other organization that we're part of. It should be different than corporate America. It should be different than the businesses we run. It should be different than the places that we serve. The church is the one place that is marked by a five-letter word, and that five-letter word is grace. Grace is the one thing that separates Christian faith from all the other world religions. You say, well, as a person, as a, as a thinker, and as a, as a person who, who likes to study and, and explore different uh, reasoning and different ways of thinking, uh, you know, you could, might argue today that Christianity isn't the only thing that has truth in it. And what I would surrender to you is, you're exactly right. There are a lot of truths out there. But what I want you to know is that if you want to know the fullness of the truth with a capital T, if you want something to mark your life by, if you want to serve a God that's not buried somewhere, that you visit his grave and his body's actually entombed, if you want to serve a living, breathing person who has had power over death, then we welcome you to a place in which we worship Christ. And just as Christ has forgiven us, our methodology, our practice, our work is to forgive others. 
Our desire at First Baptist Church is to connect people to Christ. And as we are committed to connecting people to Christ, it means that there's going to be a lot of times that we have to say, I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot of times where we have to apologize. There's going to be a lot of times in which we have to forgive. Because here's the thing. When you and I choose to forgive, anger diminishes. Grace increases. Christ is glorified. His church is built up. That is the type of culture that we must not only dream of, that is the type of culture that we must embrace. We do not want, nor I don't want, as as the pastor of the church, I do not want to create 300 people that are what I call cookie-cutter Christians. And what I mean by that is that we all drink the same Kool-Aid and we all do the same things. Nor do I want to create a bunch of yes men and yes women who automatically do what I want or what the staff wants. We want to create a culture in which we practice, we practice the priesthood of the believer, that we practice the work of the Holy Spirit. That is that the Spirit guides, leads, and directs this church. And though we may have diversity, we may have a diverse amount of opinions of what we think, in the end we will come together for the purposes of God, for the sake of the people of God, in order to advance His kingdom and connect people to Christ. The most important thing that you and I do is to be an example of what Christ has done. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he basically says this to everybody in his audience. All of us have a part to play. If you look in verse 14 of the passage, he says, Even so the body is not made of one part, but of many. Each one of us has an important part to play in the body of Christ. If you have been dating the church for a number of years, if you've been what some of you call courting the church, that's a generational term, courting the church for a number of years, if you have been non-committal to the body of Christ in a number of years, it's time for you to become an integral part of what God always intended. God did not desire for you or for me to be entertained by attending a church service. God intended for us to get fired up, pumped up, filled with the Holy Spirit, and as we come to worship, that is our weekly energizing moment, then to go out into the world and take that energy that we've received and the Holy Spirit that's worked in collectively in the body of Christ and to go into the world and impact the world. He's never intended the world to come to the church. He's intended the church to take His message, His gospel, His grace, His love, and His compassion and demonstrate it in community. So I invite you, I invite you, I implore plead with you to get plugged in, to recognize that you are a vital part of the ministry. You may say, well, I don't have an education. Guess what? Last time I checked, I don't think Jesus had a PhD from the University of Jerusalem. The other thing I want to remind you, it's not about how much you know. It's not about how much you know. It's about who you know. And more importantly, it's about who knows us. It's about who empowers us to do great and wondrous things. You can do amazing things in the eyes of mankind. You can be a great philanthropist. You can give all kinds of money. You can help the poor and the sick. And you can do all these things. You can even serve in the local church. You can be a Sunday school teacher. You can be a deacon. You can mow the grass. You can do the yard work. You can clean the pews. You can dust. You can sweep. You can mop. You can pour me a cup of coffee or anything else you want to do. But here's the thing. If you don't do it as a demonstration of the love that you have for God, if you do it 
Without love, you do it for an apt reason. You do it and it is wasteless. If you want to know the scripture reference for that, read 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter that immediately follows what I'm talking about today. Because it goes about the power, it talks about the power of demonstrating love. If you do everything but you and I don't demonstrate and have love, we are wasting our time. The one thing that impacts community, the one thing that impacts the world more than anything else is not throwing money at them, not throwing programs at them, it's loving them. And not loving them for what we can get out of them, loving them because we are demonstrating how much we understand, have come to understand how much Christ has loved us because what he did on, cro on the cross, in case you don't know, is he demonstrated the power of forgiveness, the power of the hope of Christ that could be ours. It wasn't a power that he's keeping to himself. It is a power that he gives to each person that would become a part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not just his flesh. The body of Christ is the church. So in, instead of just merely understanding the church as a place to assemble for worship, we need to come to a greater understanding that yes, the church is a location, but the church is the people and every single one of us have a part to play. We are unified and bound together by the work of the Holy Spirit. When you and I receive Christ and we accept Him in our life and we surrender our lives to Him, when we make Him Lord over all, when we accept His salvation by free grace, not by what we do or what we say, but solely upon what He's done, when we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit. As a result of receiving the Holy Spirit, you and I follow suit with baptism. And a lot of people get hung up over this baptism thing. Here's the thing. Baptism means nothing unless the power of the Holy Spirit has come into your life. There are many people who simply have gotten wet on a Sunday morning. Getting wet is not what we're called to do. Getting dunked is not what we're called to do. Being filled in the work of the Holy Spirit and demonstrating the power of God through the work of the Spirit in our lives is the demonstration of what He's done on the cross. It's not about being baptized. You say, well, I believe that you've got to be baptized to be saved. Absolutely. But it's not this baptism. It's the baptism of the Spirit, meaning that you have prayed to receive Christ and you have received the Holy Spirit which is living in your heart. It is that conscience that's behind us that says you should do this or you shouldn't do that. It is the inner voice of reason that's telling you and compelling you and, and stirs your emotions and creates a fervor within the depths of your soul that's calling you to do more than what you could ask or imagine. That's asking you sometimes, asking us sometimes to do impossible things. That is the sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is not something that you attain or get at by writing a check. It's not something that you have to attain for. It's simply something that you and I receive just like uh, in a couple months from now on Christmas Day you'll receive a gift and most of us, I think if not all of us, will choose to open that package and see what's inside. That is the gift that God has for us. All of us have a part to play. We've been baptized into the body of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit and when you and I fail to do our part, the entire body Body suffers, but when we fulfill our role, the entire body benefits. If you look in verse 26 of the passage, you'll see the, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. 
If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Therefore, when you're in the body of Christ, just like if you're in a functional family unit, and I want to underline, highlight, italicize, functional family because listen there's dysfunction all over the place if you if you don't realize that there's dysfunction all over the place you have not been watching the news and you need a good checkup with reality there is dysfunction everywhere in fact dysfunction has become the norm but here's what I want you to understand just because dysfunction's the norm doesn't mean that that's God's ultimate intention for you or for me he wants us to be functional members of the body of Christ not dysfunctional when you have dysfunctional members you will have a dysfunctional church when you have functional members that understand their role that understand their giftedness and when you and I are committed to doing what God has called us to do there is no mountain that's too high there is no valley that's too deep there is no calling that's too great because when you and I surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit when we surrender ourselves to Christ when we make ourselves or we make him Lord over who we are we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. If you need a scripture for that, Philippians 4.13. All of us have a part to play. But not only that, we have been placed, listen, we have been placed in the exact position and with the exact gift that God wants us to embrace. If you look in verse 18 of chapter 12, the scripture says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Listen, if you happen to be the pinky toe, okay, little pinky toe. If you happen to be the pinky toe, don't complain about you being a pinky toe. If you happen to be the big toe, don't complain because you're the big toe. Have you ever tried walking with one of your toes hurt? It affects the whole body. Don't be jealous that you're not the eye. You really want to be the eye, but you're a stinking feet. Let me tell you something. Eyes can see things, but they're not going to take you places. Feet take you places. Every single person in this room, God has designed to be in this place right now. For some of you, his desire is that you get plugged in and become actual members of First Baptist Church, the local body of Christ in this place, and he wants you to do it here and now. And you've been resisting because you're afraid of what the word commitment might bring. Let me just ask you this. Is Christ committed to us? Did you know that before, listen, before we were ever conceived in the womb, Christ died for us? I think he has demonstrated his commitment. Have we demonstrated ours? I've been in a Southern Baptist church all my life. I'm not huge. There was a season in my life where I wasn't huge on church membership. I was just like, come as you are, do what you want to do. But the reality is that when you look at the scripture, there's parameters for being a part of the body of Christ. When people join an organization, it means that they believe the values and the hopes that that organization has. They believe of where the vision is taking us. And let me be very clear about our vision. Our vision is to win every time. 
Our vision is to make sure that Christ is at the center of everything, whether we're doing a treat street, whether we're doing a mission trip across the world, or even if we're doing a business conference. Christ is to be honored in every capacity that we exhibit. That is my goal. And I won't rest until that's a reality for all of us. Each one of us has a gift. Each one of us has been strategically placed. If you're visiting here today, you're not visiting by chance. You may think, well, I just decided to come or someone invited me. Nothing is by chance. You say, well, it's just a coincidence. Nothing is a coincidence. I don't know who coined this cliche, but it's so true. God is the author of coincidences. Don't ever think to yourself something's a coincidence. God is in full control. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? There are people in this room, like you and me, whom God is calling to become an integral part of this body. You have a gift. You have something to give, to offer to Christ, to offer this body that makes this body more functional, more complete, so that we can accomplish the vision and mission of God. You say, oh, no, wait a minute, I don't like where that's going, because that's saying that God's mission is dependent upon man. Let me just refer you to the Old Testament, to Jonah. And let me tell you this. God's mission will be accomplished with or without our help. But it is much easier <coughs> to go to Nineveh when we're called than ended up living in puke for three days in the belly of a great fish. Don't ever think, we should never think to ourselves that God's not going to be able to accomplish it unless I am a part of it. God will accomplish it. But it is much better to be with him than against him. <clears throat> in fact, I can't think of an example in scripture where someone opposed God, wrestled with God, fought with God, argued with God, and won. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on a team of losers. I want to be on a team of winners. And so my commitment is to make sure... That we pursue Christ at every point. Because I can tell you right now, Christ is going to win every, 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 every time. Are we connected to the team? Not do we wear a t-shirt with the team's logo on it. Not do we have a cross around our neck that signifies that we are a follower of Jesus. But are we actually own of the team? Now, how many of you went to a football game Friday night? I left at halftime. It was an amazing game at halftime. Okay? Amazing game. This is what I want to say. Is there a difference in sweating in the stands in orange and black and being out on the field? Is there a difference? Okay? Is there a difference in being a fan and being a team member? Yeah. And what's the primary difference? Team members do what? They're on the field. They're in the game. They're pumped up. They've got thousands of people cheering them on. Listen, don't ever think to yourself that God's calling you to be a cheerleader in the stand. You say, well, I'm not able to get around like I used to be. I'm in a wheelchair. I got a walker. I'm... 
If you're breathing, God's called you to be on the field. I want you to notice the beautiful imagery of the body of Christ. Thank you. Holy water. The beautiful imagery of the body of Christ is with when someone, when one person suffers, the entire body suffers. You look in verse 26. The beauty of the body of Christ is, yeah, you may be in a walker. Yeah, you may be in a wheelchair. Yeah, you may not be able to run very fast. But when you're on our team, we're going to make sure that we all win. We're going to make sure that you're an integral part of the game. If we have to carry you, we have to push you, whatever it takes, we're going to do it. But we are going to score. And not just score, we are going to win. More important than being on Elizabethan football team, even more important for those that were on the Science Hill team the other night, it's more important that you and I are on God's team. It's a, it's a granted, a guaranteed victory every time. God does not need fans. He does not need cheerleaders. He has the angels for such things as that. He wants you and me to be involved in the game of life. The stakes are high. There are people falling by the wayside all the time. There are people who are fumbling the ball all the time. He wants us to intercept from the enemy and take it to the fullest extent and make sure that we score for him. Are you a part of the team? Team is church membership. You say, oh, he's pushing church membership. I'm pushing church membership because I am honing in on commitment. Commitment. Say that to yourself. Commitment. Doesn't it have a nice ring to it? Let's say that together. Commitment. Look at your spouse, if they're here in the room today, and say this to them. I am committed to you 99% of the time. Go ahead, do it. Now, the other one, say, I'm committed to you 99% of the time. What does that mean to us? If you're committed 99% to your spouse, somebody's going to be sleeping on the couch. Why do we jokingly think that that doesn't apply to the spiritual life? If God thinks the church is important, and he did, because he sent his only son to die for it, to give his life for it, then why would we not think it's important to be a part, a member of his body? All of us have a part to play. We've been placed in the exact position and with the exact gift that God wants us to embrace. Quit praying for greener grass somewhere else. Quit wishing your life away for somewhere else. And my wife and I have talked about this a number of times. You know, in ministry, and Dr. Welch will understand this too, in ministry, everybody that graduates seminary, they're going to go to a mega church. I, in fact, I've never met a seminary graduate that was planning to go to a small church. I haven't. They all talk about, oh, I'm going to be at First Atlanta, or I'm going to be at First Houston or Second Houston. Who's going to pastor small churches? Let me talk about contentment really quick. When you are where God wants you, you will succeed because he's placed you exactly where he wants you. 
there was a time and a day where I dreamed to be at other places. I was going places. The problem is, as many of you also know, that you can make a conscious decision to do what you want to do, and you and I will suffer with the consequences. For the first time in my life, some years ago, I discovered, you know what? I need to be content where he's placed me. And I can stand on this stage today and tell you unequivocally, very clearly, I have no desire to go anywhere else in my life. My only desire is honestly to be a servant of the King and to pursue Him and follow Him wherever He leads. My prayer and my hope, gosh, I hope I can retire here. I bought a house to retire here. And that's my hope and my dream. I have no ambitions to go anywhere else. I really don't. I can't always say that. I've watched so many people in the life of the church that are not content with anything. They're discontented all over the place. They're not happy with their home life. They're not happy with their house. They're not happy with their work. They're always, always wishing for something else. Quit wishing for something else and start embracing what you have. And enjoy it to the glory of God. You and I are exactly where we need to be. The question is, are we committed where we are? Are we embracing what's around us? Are we fulfilling God's call? Do we understand our gift? And are we using that gift? Because here's what happens. When you and I selfishly refuse to flourish and grow where he's planted us, the entire body suffers. Think about that the next time you don't want to commit to doing something. If you've got a gift, use your gift. If God has gifted you and placed you here, utilize it. Seize this moment. Serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who's bought the church by the blood and sacrifice of His one and only Son. This is why membership matters. Because we will always accomplish more working together than we could ever do if you and I remained alone. It demonstrates that commitment. We need each other. We need you. You are valuable because God wants you to utilize your gifts in the church. We are valuable because God wants to, desires to use us. And then he concludes in verse 31. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now that's very strange that he would end with verse 31 of giftedness because we all know that we're not supposed to compare our gifts. But here's the thing. It's sort of like telling young men not to compare the women that go before them. Men always compare the women that go before them. They're always looking for what they perceive to be attractive. Is that not true, gentlemen? If your spouse is in the room, you may deny it in the moment, but that doesn't nullify the fact that it's true. And so when you and I are faced with great decisions in our lives, and when we're faced with these gifts, there's a natural tendency to appreciate what others have rather than what we've been given. And as I've said before, embrace what we have, what we don't. Don't embrace what we don't. 
Embrace what we have. Don't try to dream your life away or try to pray for a new gift. God's given us exactly what we need to serve His kingdom. And the body is incomplete without us all working together to that end. Why then would the Apostle Paul say, eagerly desire the greater gifts? This is the reason. God understands us a lot more than what we understand. He knows, He knows that in society the way it is, in the culture in which we live, and even that culture of the day, there's always going to be this tendency to compare and desire. And so He's willing to give us that. You can desire the greater gift. Pursue it. Pray for it. But just because you and I desire it does not mean it's going to happen. And just because you and I desire it does not mean it's going to be or just it's not going to involve God's will. He wants us to be a people that desire Him above all. And let me tell you what the greatest gift that's ever been given is. The greatest gift that's ever been given is Jesus Christ. He's pleading with people, desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts that He's given? Well, ha ha ha. Jesus is one. The Holy Spirit is two. A life marked by the power of God, demonstrated by the person of Jesus Christ, and fulfilled in the work of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you in closing today, this simple question. Do we recognize the part that we are supposed to play and are we committed to being a member of the body of Christ? Do we recognize the part that we're supposed to play? And are we committed to being a member of the body of Christ? First Baptist Church is doing amazing things. There are amazing ministry opportunities beyond the parameters of these doors. First Baptist Church is touching lives. But when I say that, don't ever get the impression that it's us. It's the power of God demonstrated through the work of the Holy Spirit. We are simply showing up, answering the call, and using the gifts that He's given us. And lives are being changed. Families are being returned. Forgiveness is being offered. Apologies are coming to be a general part of the church. And here's the thing about it. I've served in churches where apologies, people would go, wow, what's that about? Why is that? Have we become so ingrained in who we are that we're not able to recognize the need to give apologies? Have we become so overwhelmed with our status and with pride that we are unable... To forgive others? Hmm. Maybe that's why the church is so needed today. Because as we look in our homes and we look in our churches, as we look in our community, there's so much dysfunction everywhere. At First Baptist Church, there are aspects of us that are dysfunctional. But we serve an overwhelming, functional God who has the healing capacity, who has the grace capacity to change your life, 
to change mine, to call us, and to change and impact our community for His benefit, for His glory. Don't ever think that you have the power in your hands. Because when you try, you and I try to wield power from the hands without wielding power from the motivation of the heart, we will fail every time. There's a reason King Saul died. There's a reason that he was esteemed highly in the eyes of the Israelites but ultimately failed to be God's man in the moment. I think we should be like David. David, killer of the giants, leader of the nation of Israel. Did he mess up? He messed up royally. But he does not go down in history as an adulterer. He goes down in history as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because in chapter 13 we discover love always wins. Despite who we are, despite what we do. And this is the invitation this morning. Maybe for many of you who have been committed to Christ but you've misunderstood or missed the mark of being committed to the local church and the reason that you're not committed is because in your background, in your pedigree, in your makeup there have been a series of mistakes after mistakes after mistakes and you're worried that perhaps that will not give you the ability or it has disabled you to be a part, an integral part of the body of Christ. I wouldn't want to be part of that church either. And there are many churches out there that will tell you all about your failures, but not about Christ's victory. At First Baptist Church, we're about the victory of Christ. We're about overcoming obstacles. We're about beating the odds. We're about going across the mountains. We're about reaching in the midst of the valleys. We are about Jesus. Is He at the center of who you are? Center of your calling? center of our commitment. If not, won't you make him central today? Membership matters because Christ matters. Christ matters because love matters. And this is what I'm going to say. Love compels us, changes us, transforms us. For some of you, you've never known love until you know God. This morning we want to give you an opportunity twofold. One is to know Christ and make Him known. And two is to become an integral part of the body of Christ here at First Baptist Church. We want you. We need you. We desire you to become committed more and more each and every day as we grow together, as we forgive each other, as we offer hospitality as we live in the shadow of the cross with the overwhelming knowledge of the power that God has given of resurrection, that you and I don't have to worry about what this world brings because we know who has this world in his hands. This is the invitation this morning. If you need to accept Christ, we celebrate that. If you want to become an integral part of First Baptist Church, we celebrate that. You and I have a role to play. Won't you respond? Won't you accept your God-given gift? Won't you accept your part in His plan? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You so much for this day. We thank You for worship. We thank You for music. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the example of the Apostle Paul. And Father, His words to us and the words that You have 
Father, we pray for us in this room, for those in this room who've never trusted in Christ, that has committed their life to Him. We want to give an opportunity. If someone's here today, I pray that you give them the strength, the power, and the encouragement simply to come just as they are. They don't have to have any words to say. It's not about what we say. It's all about what you've done. Father, maybe there's others here in this place that say, you know what, I really, I do feel that God has placed my family or placed me here. And I do believe with all my heart that I need to be using my gifts and my talents. I need to be plugged in to the body of Christ here at First Baptist. If that's someone's prayer, if that's a family's prayer, we invite them to join, to respond to the Holy Spirit and to do that. Father, as we seek your will, as we plug in, as we recognize our need to commit in these moments of invitation, we invite you to do a work in us as you call us, as we hear, and as we respond. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand for a hymn of invitation. If you're here this morning, whatever, however the Holy Spirit may be leading you and guiding you, won't you come just as you are to receive Christ, to join His church, to be plugged in to His purpose.